Electric Sports Talk, a podcast dedicated entirely to sports and only sports. Today, 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 we talk NASCAR. Now here are your hosts, Ty, Amos, and Chris. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Nice to have you guys back. Uh, we're talking NASCAR today on Electric Sports Talk. I'm your host. Well, no, I have multiple hosts this time. Uh, we're all hosts, I guess. Now that the new intro's here, we're all equals <laughs> now, huh? Ty? That's right. That's, well, that's what uh, that's what the intro says. But, no, no, no. You're still uh, running this show. We're oh, not okay. Equals. <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Ty Crystal, guys. I am here with Chris and Amos. How are you guys doing? Uh good. 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 Really good. How are you, Ty? Yeah, it was good. Uh, how's it was five hundred for you guys overall? Uh, there was a lot going on this week. The duels, the clash, truck series, uh, all of it. I can honestly say that I got raced out. Wow, really? You watched that much, huh? Well, by the time that five-hour delay was over with, it was kind of like, okay, let's get this sucker going and get it over with, because I, you know. Yeah, we were starting to wonder if they'd ever get going, honestly. Uh, it was a long delay, long delay, uh, but it, it was it was pretty good once the race got started going again, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the 500. We're going to be talking about uh, the Daytona Road Course that's going to be happening next week, so lots to get to, guys. Um, but I think uh, we'll start with the, some some news that I saw before uh, the 500 started. I think it come out right around the day before or sometime like that. Anyways, uh, Martin Truex Jr. signed a contract extension with Joe Gibbs Racing. Our suspicion that Truex might be retiring after this season, as, as we kind of voiced on the preview show, uh, that's that's not going to happen. So, uh, Amos, I want to start with you on this. Uh, what was your What is your reaction to, to this news? Well, I, I personally am not surprised that he signed a multi-year extension. It's going to stick around. I mean, he relatively is still young. I mean, sure, he's an elder statesman in NASCAR, but, I mean, if the desire's there to race and you're in top equipment as he is with Joe Gibbs Racing and he's competitive, I felt like he was pretty decent for the first 14 laps till he got wadded up in that wreck. Yep. I, I, yeah, he was know, doing he, good. He could have done real well had that not happened. So, and super spadeways really are not Truex Jr.'s forte. So he's got some good tracks coming up. I mean, he's an okay road racer. He'll do well at Homestead. He'll do well in Vegas. So, mm-hmm, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and Joe Gibbs is smart. Why not? I mean, he's a past champion, multi race winner. So, lock him down for a few more years and let him go from there. Uh, Chris, a big question that I have about this extension or you know furthering of Martin Truex's uh, contract with Joe Gibbs is the fact that we've seen a lot of other uh, a lot of other teams in NASCAR bring in younger guys, bring in youth. Penske's brought in the youth. Hendrick has brought in the youth. Stuart Haas is starting to bring in the youth. Uh, you've coined it, you know, the four super teams here. Joe Gibbs, however, they re-sign a, an, an older veteran. Uh, is this a smart move by Joe Gibbs Racing? What I predicted was going to happen on the 500 kind of came true with Christopher Bell. Mm-hmm. I think I told you, and possibly Amos, that he was going to be kind of the catalyst of, or at least in most of the wrecks. Now, the big wreck he didn't cause. Uh, yeah, but he was in it. <laughs> but he was in it. <laughs> so I, I think that Joe Gibbs has actually got a pretty good mixture of uh, – drivers right now he's got christopher mm-hmm. bell which is the young blood yes you know he's got three very experienced winning drivers and um 
But I'm just curious, Amos. You know, I think Martin Truex is about your age. How does it feel to be an elder statesman? Well, I wouldn't say I'm an elder statesman because I by no means in the profession that I have outside of podcasting. I mean, I've done it for a while, but there's definitely guys <laughs> a lot older than me there. So, I mean, when you're talking the sports world and in NASCAR, yeah, I mean, you know, there's not too many guys that are competitively racing past his age, really. I mean, well, they're, they're still racing, but they're not putting down top level, tens. Yeah. They're not hitting the racetrack in and out every week. I, I mean, I commend the guy. I mean, you know, he's probably in good physical shape, as the rest of the drivers are, and... If he has the desire to get up and go to work every day, then that's great. I mean, there's you know, some days I don't want to crawl out of bed. I know that. So the, the funny thing about this youth movement and elder statesmen and things like that, there are guys that were NASCAR champions that didn't even start their careers till they were in their late thirties. Yeah, back in the day. I mean, and and this thing has has so morphed in the last. Well, I'm going to say twenty years. What do you think, Amos? Does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, I think you're always going to have, when I first started watching, you had the elder statesmen at the time, Michael Waltrip, Daryl Earnhardt, uh, Mark Martin, Kenny Schrader, Sterling Marlin, and then you had the young guns, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, all them guys. So I think there's kind of an evolving, it evolves. You're always going to have your experienced drivers, new guys coming in. I think the big push for the youth right now is, they're just, I think they're hitting the youth for sponsors and a, a broader audience, so to well, speak. Because you got to turn over that audience, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know and what I, I mean? I think so, there's a lot to what you're saying. And the thing to consider, too, is a lot of these guys are coming in at 20, 22 years old. They've been racing for 10 years or, yeah. or longer, some of them. I mean, Probably, some of them started yeah. at four or five years old. Yep. So like, they've had yeah. a lot of experience behind the wheel. Yeah. And we all look at it like, well, you know, God, this kid's only 18, 19, 21 years old. But the reality is, is they've been pushing cars around the track for 10 years. Yeah, I agree. You know, so. um, all right, guys. Uh, if, if you were to s- give this contract extension a rating for Joe Gibbs on a scale of 10, uh, one being horrible decision, 10 being amazing decision, uh, where would you rank it? Uh, I'm going to rank it about a 7. 7. That's pretty yeah. average then. Y- yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was a bad decision by any means. All right. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I mean, you, Martin, like I said before, Truex is a race winner, a champion. He's going to help in the garage to keep Chris Bell and Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch level and and uh, moving in the right direction. So, and I mean, obviously, at a time when sponsorship is rough for some teams if you have a sponsor that you have for the full year and they're extremely happy with the driver if it ain't broke don't fix it man i feel like truex also has very solid sponsorship uh so that's a big deal oh yeah oh absolutely yeah well and i noticed a lot of the dewalt those sponsors kind of moved over that 19 car yeah dewalt was on him on his car for the the, for for the the duel yeah and the the clash i think for both maybe I can't remember if it was the Clash. For one of them, for sure. Anyway, he had DeWald on there, which kind yeah. of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, me too. I, I thought that was strange as well. Uh, yeah, so I, Martin Truex signed a contract extension with Joe Gibbs. Overall, I think we all are uh, pretty on board with the decision, so that's good. All right, guys, so let's talk uh, about the 500 itself now. Uh, we'll also talk about the duels a little bit. Uh, so Bowman ends up on the pole for the 500. His strategy was to, quote, floor it, which... 
Yeah, I mean, what else do you do? <laughs> well, <laughs> he, he was, what, a full second faster than his he teammate? Went, yeah, he went much faster. Uh, and I was just going to ask you, Chris, is that surprising that he actually won the pole by the amount that he did? Well, let me put it to you this way. So Daytona, they claim, is a handling track. Talladega, not so much. Mm. Man, they had that car spot on because when you watch the car-to-car tracker when he was making his pole run i mean he was a car length ahead the entire lap yeah and and that oh, car they look good yeah that car setup now i've wondered a little bit if they made some last minute adjustments you know after they saw uh his teammate qualify hmm. i i wondered that but at the, at any rate that car was just Dead nuts on. I mean, it was good to go. Very impressive. Uh, Amos, you had uh, Larson winning the poll. Chris had uh, Bowman winning the poll. And I had Blaney winning the poll. Uh, so you were on the right track with the Hendrick idea there. Uh, but, you know, Chris does get a point for the season. So he now leads our, our little race here, 1-0. to zero. We're trying to pick winners. And anytime they're doing qualifying, we'll try and pick poll uh, sitters. And we'll add up all the points at the end of the season and see who wins. Um, but yeah, Amos, you were on the right track with the Hendrick. Uh, so no surprise for you that a Hendrick car ended up on the pole. No, because like what they say, Bowman's been on the front row, either pole or outside, for the last four years. Yeah, I we'd have to research, but I know Hendrick's been on the pole. Period. Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dell Jr. Ten out of, of the times. last fifteen years yeah, or so. I mean, yeah. a lot of they times. have a solid program. I mean, obviously they're qualifying's down they have a good speedway program so and usually it translates pretty well in the race so i mean yeah they got it figured and chevy i mean obviously like i said chevy had so they've had nine of the last nine poles for the daytona international speedway so yeah can't beat that yeah i wasn't surprised i just kind of figured maybe hendrick could give hart larson the the good car, the good equipment, and let him sit on the pole and kind of rub it in everybody's face. So, but yeah, nonetheless, of, it was out still of good. everyone of the Hendrick cars, he didn't qualify very well. So I was I was a little surprised. Uh, okay, guys, let's turn our attention to the duels. Uh, just talk briefly about these: Eric Amarola, your dual one winner, and Ty Dillon, your du- dual two winner. Uh, any surprise for you on these these two winners, Amos? Well, no, obviously not with uh, Eric Amarola because that's who I had pick to win the overall 500 so <laughs> i was definitely not surprised austin. yeah and then obviously i mean not austin i mean austin dylan he's a 500 winner he seems to do well uh, another driver program that does does well at super speedways so not overly surprised by either one of them mm-hmm. so i i did a quick look up on the pole sitters mm-hmm. and i won't go back a long time so 2021 bowman 2020 stenhouse 2019, William Byron, mm. Hendrick. Uh, 2018, Alec Bowman, Hendrick. 2017, Chase Elliott, Hendrick. 2016, Chase Elliott, Hendrick. 2015, Jeff Gordon, Hendrick. I mean, you know, 2014, Austin Dillon, which was essentially Richard Childress, again, another Chevy. So <laughs> w- when you really go through it, I mean, I think even Stenhouse was in a Chevy at the time he won the 2020 poll, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in that 47 still. Yeah. So, so right. I mean, Chevy's, Chevrolet yeah. is absolutely dominated for, well, how far back do you want to go? Well, Carl Edwards is the first first Ford in 2012. 
Ah, so it's been a while since yeah, anyone else. I mean, else... it's been Chevrolet. Ooh, that's that's a long time. I mean, you might as well just give it to a Ford next year if that's the case. Yeah, well. Um, yeah. All right, so the duels were pretty interesting, I guess. Uh, we didn't take a lot away from them, though, right, guys? Like, Well, I kind of did. Okay, what did you take away from um, the duels? The first duel to me was as long as they got in line, stayed in line, and didn't try and make anything happen, you know, it was going to be a pretty boring race mm. because there was absolutely... I, was there even an... an was there even a yellow flag in that first duel? I don't no, even remember. No, the first accident was in the second duel. Second duel, <laughs> on the other hand, was just nothing more than a, you know, it was a cluster. I mean, they were wrecking uh-huh. a lot for a duel race, considering there's only, what, 22 cars out there or something like that? Yeah. Well, that was that we'd have to look, but was duel two have most of the people that were slicing and dicing in the race, causing wrecks or making... Well... Duel 2 was a little more interesting field, I yeah. thought. Uh, if you yeah. look at the people that had to go to backup cars, uh, I think all of them were in <laughs> Duel 2. I, I'm serious. I think most of them were, yeah. Um, some of the major guys that had to go to backup cars for the 500 were Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex, William Byron, Cole Custer, Eric Jones. Did did that really have an effect, though, on the race? I mean, we saw Keselowski late in the race with an opportunity to win it. Uh, going to the rear in the 500 is much different than, let's say, Homestead, right? They prep those cars side by side, mm-hmm. the, the primary car and the backup car. And really, when you get right down to it, there's probably not a dime's worth of difference between the two, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of the wind tunnel or their setup or anything else. So, no, there's not a there's not a huge drawback to going to a backup car, I don't think. All right, so we get to the 500. Uh, Bowman, there was some speculation that he might have to go to backup car, but he ends up starting on the pole, Ty Dillon next to him. Uh, we take the green flag and... Austin Dillon. Oh, sorry. Do I keep saying Ty? I keep yeah, saying Ty Dillon. Sorry. Austin Dillon. It, it, it's a, one of them memory things because your name's Ty. Yeah. You just, yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we take the green flag, and it's pretty good racing, actually, from the start, and... For a minute there, they were going three by well, three, and I was a little like okay. worried why they were doing that. I agree with you. It was good racing from the start, but I think somebody said, "Hey, there's rain coming. Mm-hmm. We got to, you know, you got to, you got to get your position before the rain gets here." That's that's what they were saying on the broadcast. I mean, well, sure, but I, and that and that's what Ty and I were talking about. Rain's coming, but you were 15 laps into it, mm-hmm. so the race is an official tell a hundred. So why are you racing like it's the last lap? I right. I mean the racing was well, exciting, so but man. So let's get to this. Uh, they're going three three wide. They're going two wide. I mean it's it's pretty intense racing from the beginning. And on lap fourteen, a major wreck comes out. Uh, Kyle Busch essentially pushes Bell up into the back of Amarola. Amarola, I don't think he was expecting that bump. He couldn't necessarily handle it. Went off to the side bunch of cars got taken out in a pretty big wreck. Some major contenders, too. I mean, Kurt Busch, Ryan Newman, Tyler Reddick. Uh, we had Eric Amarola, Ryan Blaney in that crash, Truex, Christopher Bell, obviously. Uh, we had Matty D for the Woods Brothers Racing, William Byron, who had a great car. Uh, Eric Jones got caught up in it. Alex Bowman got taken out. Daniel Suarez. Uh, there were some major players that got taken out in that crash, and most of those cars... If not a majority of them, they didn't return to the track. No. Uh, so, Chris, take us through some of what you saw on that accident. Like, 
where was the driving factor with that accident? Do you think most of the blame lies at Kyle Busch's feet there? Uh, it seemed like a really odd move to be making that early in the race. I, I'm not going to give Kyle Busch a free ride on this one. But at the same time, if I'd have been Kyle Busch, I wouldn't have been pushing on a rookie that hard. I mean, just plain and simple, I wouldn't have been pushing on a rookie that hard. And the thing is, is Christopher Bell, you know, he started wrecking before he ever got to Amarola when you get right down to it. Mm. And uh, Amarola, I mean, it's like every wreck at Daytona. You think about it. Those things pick up speed for some weird reason. When those cars crash at Daytona, they gain speed. I, I've never quite figured out how that all works. But mm -hmm. they'll run over a guy in front of them nine times out of ten yeah. while they're wrecking. I mean, uh, Amos, you thought that was when we were when we first saw it happen. I I was blaming Amarola more than than anyone else, and and you had a, a different opinion about that. Uh, so what did what did you see in that big crash that happened very early on in the race? Well, bump drafting's the name of the game at Daytona. You got to have a partner. Basically, bump drafts. You come up. You're hitting the guy in front of you. It's giving him a push of speed to catch up or close the gap in the guy ahead of him. And there's certain spots on the track where you can and cannot bump draft. And where they were bump drafting wasn't necessarily an issue. I mean, you can come out of the corner going down the backstretch and give a guy a good push so he can get some momentum going into three and four. But the problem I had with it is the aggressive nature in which everybody was racing 14 laps into the race. Very strange. Like, I mean, you want to bump draft, you want to keep close, but it's like Chris alluded to earlier. Yeah, rain's coming, but you got to get to lap 100 to call it a, an official race. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we still had 85 laps to go to get there. And so, and then obviously we've seen the rain come during the red flag of that track or of that wreck. But I just felt like it wasn't just Kyle Bush, it was all of them. We're just racing way too aggressive. And maybe it was they weren't being aggressive. Maybe it's just the package that they had for the arrow. Because mm. it looked like, to me, every car was unsettled, even in the single-file line. It just looked like they were all over. So well, a little bit of a push, a little bit of a draft is going to give you two or three mile, miles an hour, and that's a big difference. So, But like Chris said, you can't blame Kyle Busch, but he also didn't have to you know, bump draft, back off. You don't bump draft, push. Mm. And 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 go from there. Yeah, so. it, and I'm not trying to blame anyone either. Like when we say put blame on someone, I don't think we're necessarily saying it in a bad way. We're just right. we're just looking for why the crash happened. Well, you have to mostly. look at cause and effect. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you this: I don't know if you guys paid any attention to that 23 car, but that thing was just ice skate rink loose. Yeah, I mean he I noticed was that a all bit. over the track every lap. Well, but I thought there were multiple cars like that yeah. too, like. There yeah, were guys racing, uh, but he had a he had a stronger car than some of the other guys yeah. I noticed. But it was just weird. Like, seemed like some of them just couldn't stay on the track very well. Uh, I mean, it was a very strange race because uh, right after we're getting this wreck cleaned up, the red flag comes out obviously because it was a big crash, and then uh, we get weather delayed for solid a couple hours. Five. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Five, Five hours. hours. Uh, so on lap fifteen, we're in a weather delay. Kevin Harvick is leading. Uh, I had doubts that we'd get that race finished Sunday, uh, but NASCAR did a good job and got us going again. And it was an interesting race after that, man. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it all kind of changed after this. The deal is on Daytona, once it stops raining, it takes two and a half hours to dry that track to competition standards. 
I mean, the rain delay was two and a half hours for all intents and purposes, but then it takes the two and a half hours after that. And then they had a, they had a truck like fall off the track, right, and get stuck in the <laughs> in the concrete. So that was great. <laughs> so those, air- I bet that guy was like. So those air Titan trucks, they have a minimum speed on the track. They have to go twelve miles an hour. Or they can't stay on the banking, mm-hmm. and they have telemetry in those trucks. And he was going nine miles an hour, and apparently that twelve is pretty fixed. Yeah, that's not good because the nine didn't cut it. Yeah, I noticed that, and I think that took some time away from getting us going back sure. again. Yeah, had so a little was, bit of repairs. Well, and he yeah, yeah he left a divot in the track. Oh man, it yeah, because like, he's I, I think his jet gyre broke, and then like uh, the part that was hooked in. To, to his truck, it, it broke in half, and then that part stuck into the concrete. Yeah, I mean, so this is pretty great. This is a complete side note, but it's, you know, we laugh. He was okay. It did delay the race a little bit, but compares nothing to Juan Pablo Montoya oh running into the jet dryer. <laughs> the best thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> well, fireball. That's going to dry the track. Huh? And the weird part about that Juan Pablo Montoya wreck was is he had, had done something to the car. And he'd just come out of the pits and was trying to catch yeah, up to the yeah. field. And he smacks the air dryer. And it's yeah. like, what the heck, you know? Yeah, that was, that that was, was great. That yeah. was one of the best things. I it think was I've a seen. flaming wreck. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry, side note. Oh, no, but that's I just, okay. I, all I could think of when that truck's sliding down the track, I'm like, man, at least it's not a fireball like Montoya. So, <laughs> All right, yeah. so we get stage one started eventually. After some drivers went and got McDonald's, I saw. Yeah, Ash how Ch- about that? Yeah. Ross Chastain and then McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? Here we are thinking these guys are in great shape, and he's getting a couple cheeseburgers, huh? Yeah, and a coke. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. <laughs> and a coke. Uh, <laughs> it was good. Uh, yeah, and I think I mean there were multiple guys going and getting fast food, so it was a good time. Um, we got to build the carbs, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's got a long night ahead of you. So we get stage one started. Uh, Denny Hamlin wins. The stage one, uh, Joe Gibbs and the Toyotas were looking really good uh, early on in the race. Harvick and Dylan were also strong. I I noted down in that first stage. Uh, we get running into stage two. Uh, so Christopher Bell, Kyle Busch, and Hamlin running up front. We're coming to green flag pit stops in this second stage, and things are looking pretty good for the Toyotas, like they were in the first stage. Hamlin's looking like he he might have had the best car on the track, depending on who you ask. Uh, so we get to this this. Green flag pit stops, and Ford came in all at once, and then Toyota come in all at once, and then Chevy. And, like, they didn't come in any different order. And I thought it was very strange, and uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit, Amos, but we didn't really understand why they were doing that because uh, you said that you just hadn't noticed that before in other races. Yeah, I mean, I've always seen them, pit, like I say, you have to pit with a partner, four or five guys, but normally it's four or five of the best cars, regardless of the team or manufacturer, or or you pit four or five guys with your team or your alliance of teams. But when they started pitting straight up Fords and then Toyotas and then Chevys, I just, to me, in my 20 years of watching Daytona, I have never really noticed that that's how they pitted before. I mean, you have to have a partner, but five Toyotas pit and 10 Chevys and then all Fords. So I don't know. To me, that was very, it was different to see. I I really didn't understand the thought process of just manufacturing. I don't think I've seen a Daytona 500 that I can ever recall where manufacturer uh, teams were so dominant in the sense that they did everything together. Yeah. I mean, and, and it blew me away, to be honest with you, because there's not supposed to be team rules 
in NASCAR. Yeah, there's well, that race sure had so some. That was thrown out the window last year with Hamlin and Eric Jones. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, am so I, I'm right. This no, is, you are. You yeah, absolutely I mean, are right, and that's fine. I mean, I don't care. You know, pit well, how you want to pit, but. At the I mean, end of normally, the day, it's win the race. That's yeah. what it's all about. But. And you want your manufacturer on the podium, but I just don't remember. I mean, usually it was your top five or six guys would pit, or, and then, or the stronger cars, or you pit who you run better with. Because, I mean, obviously some of them, as the race wore on, and I'm sure we'll get into this, I mean, obviously some of them cars were just not good to pit with because they didn't really help you well, but keep we, up or we get into to, the draft. We talked about this a little bit. I don't remember if it was on air or off, but uh, there's been previous years where they did did pair drafting, right, at right. tracks like this. Well, I wonder if the the they're going away from the pair drafting completely, right? Like, now it's big group drafting. I wonder if that's totally changed the pit strategies. You're not pitting with groups of guys. You're pitting with teammates or manufacturers, and that's who you trust more than well, just random guys on the track. Yeah, and here's the thing. The Fords and the Toyotas don't push well. Witness Eric Amarola's wreck. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the, the Chevys, they don't match up to anybody but Chevys. And mm -hmm. it, it's got to do with the front and rear body design of those cars. And for some reason, and, you know, it is the design of the cars, they just don't, they don't bump draft or, or push well. And so that's why I think you're seeing more manufacturer pitting together than you ever have because yeah. these guys can't run with the other cars. That could be. And I'm sure this will be, I mean, other than the next Daytona race, super speedway race in Talladega, I, I don't see this as a trend moving no, forward. No, you're not going to see it. I mean, you're just going to Other pit, than on yeah. super speedway. I mean, I wouldn't imagine. It's, I'd be very it's, surprised. It's very different. Mm -hmm. if, if you, I mean, I guess you don't really gain a big advantage. But, yeah, I thought, I mean, and obviously we'll get to this at the end of the race, but it worked out. For one driver to be pitting with all of his manufactured yeah, cohorts. Yeah, it did. All right, so Larson and Elliott come out in front after everything kind of cycles through. We get back in a pack. It gets a little dicey because the Toyotas decide that they're just going to try and railroad their way to the front, essentially. They all grouped up, and Hamlin, uh, Bush, <laughs> Bell, Wallace, they were just driving right to the front. Um, and then not too long after this, Bell cuts a tire, Larson, Stenhouse, McMurray kind of pick up some damage uh, on lap 112. Uh, once again, here's Christopher Bell uh, kind of in a wreck. Not not his fault, like we'll keep saying, I'm sure, for most of the year. But, Chris, you have a – your theory is kind of starting to have some, some real meat to it here. Well, I mean, you is know, it going to be one of those years for Bell? <laughs> look, Bell came in here highly regarded. You know, he is the next best thing, you know. And – and he's a good driver, don't get me wrong. And he's a really good dirt track driver. But, man, you get in those 3,800-pound stock cars going 200 miles an hour, and a lot of crap can happen in a big hurry. Yeah. And I, I just don't think the kids cycled into that kind of timing, if you follow what I'm saying. Probably better equipment than what he was in last year. So, you know, yeah, just, probably. it's going to be a little bit of a growing pain for him. Right. Uh, so we get going back after this caution. Uh, we get down to the end of Stage 2. There's a lot of guys up in front, Hamlin, Harvick, Wallace, Elliott, Larson, Logano, Priest. I mean, they're just racing pretty hard for these stage points. And something that we were noticing as the race moved on was the fact that they were single file for a long time. And we kept 
wondering when they'd jump out and make their moves as the stage was rolling down. And it really wasn't until the last one or two laps where guys started to even make moves. Uh, Chris, do you think, and this is my theory, so I'll ask you from my point of view here, do you think that big crash affected the the strategy of the race? Do you think the big crash that took out a lot of cars at the start uh, made it more like a dual race where you're going to get in single file and you're you're going to break late for a, for a position? I think the largest contributing factor to the single file running was the fact that the track got completely washed off with the rain delay. There was no rubber laid down at all. And okay. they were just trying to work a groove in, and the quickest way to work a groove in is run a nose to tail for lap after lap. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I don't think that's that's not bad at all. I, I like that. I mean, we just usually don't see that type right. of race. I mean, usually you at least see two wide, some some lead changes. I mean, I agree with Chris. There was that could be very well, the track was green and stuff like that. I mean, Dell Junior was one of the first guys to lead a single file pack and take him to the top and just log laps, just to get through to the end. So, that I just keep going back to this. Maybe the aero package was just not allowing for side by side racing multiple laps because you stay that way you're going to end up wrecking or cutting tires or whatever like they had been in the, at the first of the race or they learn through the duels you can't do that so they just kind of do what you can at the restart through the green flag stops and then just log laps till the end so uh one thing that i was wondering also it's almost like guys wanted to make moves, but they were really nervous to get pushed back. Oh, if because you, if you got more because than two they cars wanted to, side yeah. by side, I mean that guy in the middle, he was dropping like a stone. Yeah, and, you know, and they go just three think, wide, and the guy in the middle, it just I we mean, it's saw, like somebody threw saw, out an anchor. We saw drivers try and jump out to the bottom and make moves, yeah. but then it's like no one would go with them. Yeah. Like no one wanted to jump out of their spot. Why? Like I saw Stenhouse so many times trying to go out by himself. Yeah. And he had a good car, and he'd get runs up on this bottom lane, but no one would jump with him. Why was no one jumping with, with guys that were trying to make these moves, Chris? They knew that there was not going to be any more rain in that race. Mm. And, and so it was going to go its full length. So there wasn't the incentive to get out there and race hard till the last 10 laps or so because the, the reality was is everybody wanted to kind of well, freight train, because I, I noticed a lot of guys were shutting their motors off. They'd get in those packs, and, they, and you know, they'd be four or five back in a draft, and they'd shut the motor down and just let the draft tug them along. We were conserving a lot of fuel, yeah. and this comes into play as, as we get uh, going here into this last stage, so keep that in mind. I mean, I think that's a, a really interesting point to bring up. Uh, so we get down to the late stages of uh, the late few laps of stage two. I think Wallace is in front at this point. Uh, but Hamlin and Harvick end up pushing their way to the front, and and they and Hamlin once again takes the stage, and I think we're all thinking Hamlin's going to probably get three in a row here at this point. Um, but it wasn't over because we had a lot to go, a lot more to go here. Uh, Fifty laps to go. Hamlin's still leading the race. We see a lot more single file stuff. Harvick and Logano. I mean, those Fords were racing really good. They were as the race cars. kept going on. The Toyotas got worse, and I think the Fords got better. And the Chevys were just kind of there. Most of the race, they did good. Uh, but Dylan was up there a lot, too, and his Chevy, along with Elliot. Uh, Cindric, I mean, how about him? He raced really well uh, for the most part. Um, so, yeah, we get down to these final pits right before the race is over, essentially. And we were kind of thinking, me and Amos at least, that we'd see a caution and maybe some guys would get lucky and we wouldn't have to do green flag pit stops. 
Uh, but that didn't end up being the case. So we saw Ford go first. Uh, were you guys surprised that Ford was the first ones to pit here in this situation? Because we saw the Chevys who pitted last uh, in the last stage do better coming out, but the Fords went first. Obviously, I feel like Chevy had a little bit better fuel economy, so they felt like they could probably push it a little more. Um, the thing that surprised me most about this pit stops is not necessarily who went first. I mean, obviously, it bit Ford. Well, it benefited Ford. Um, I mean, Chevy was there, but who it hurt was Toyota. Mm-hmm. And I am very surprised that after the three or four previous, well, two or three previous green flag pit stops, that somebody in the Toyota camp didn't be like, didn't say, "Hey, when Ford pits, we're pitting with them." Right? Like, where does it say you like? I just am still blown away by this manufacturer pitting on separate laps. Mm-hmm. It benefited nothing for Toyota. They just didn't have the strength in numbers to pit, play catch up, and then try and hold off the pack when they were getting well, run down. Toyota so. had – well, I'll keep going here. So Ford pits first. They come out. Uh, Chevy doesn't go too long after them. But Toyota – the Toyota car stayed out for a long time, like way longer than I thought we were all expecting. Uh, and I'm like, okay, they're going to come in on this lap. They didn't. They're going to come in. They stayed out for like three laps longer than I thought they would. Now this is this is my theory. They they literally had three solid cars. Like Bush was still intact, Hamlin and Wallace. I mean Bell, he was wrecked out pretty much, and so was Truex. They were on the track, but they weren't doing as well as they were at the start. I think they were banking on a caution, and it, and it just didn't come. Um, but we see the for the field cycle through, and we see three, four, five Fords in the front. I mean they just went out to the front. And once the Toyotas come out of the pits, we saw Hamlin get way spaced out from Wallace, and then Wallace was way spaced out from Bush, and they had no momentum going onto this track. And I mean, the Fords just took over, and Logano for the next what thirty laps essentially was in the front the whole the whole rest of the race. So Fords figured out something uh, and did it really well because the Chevys had more cars and numbers, but the Fords pitted their pit strategy. Was it better? Yeah, I think they were getting a little better fuel mileage than the Toyotas and the and the Chevys too. It, it's a weird deal because they conserve fuel, so that means that when they go in for their pit stop, when you have a pit stop, the slowest factor in the pit stop is the fuel can, and so the less fuel, the least fuel that you have to put in to get that car full at a pit stop actually is a benefit, and that's why you saw so many of them conserving fuel you know, as the race progressed, because that was actually a way to save a few seconds on pit lane. As it turned out, I think Ford had a good strategy that way. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the reality was, is they were, you know, they were saving fuel as they were running around there and staying out in front. So did the Toyotas race too hard in this race? Did they start off the race too hard to finish strong? I, I don't think, yes, to shorten the answer, yes. I don't think that was Denny Hamlin's type of race. I think he would have preferred to hang back, make laps, stay out of trouble. Well, that's, that's and what be, he said, right? And be there at the end. Yeah. But but Kyle Busch, I mean, that guy is a car killer. He <laughs> he will go out there, and, and he's my favorite driver, okay? But Kyle Busch will go out there and just absolutely pound a car into submission, and by the end of the race, there's not much car left. I agree. Well, and yeah, I think yeah. a lot had to do with the single-file racing. 
like there's opportunity throughout the race if you're too wide where you can drop back, keep in touch with the leaders, and then when it comes time for when it's crunch time, stage end of stage, you need to pit or find your your buddies to pit. You can work your way through the pack and get to the front, find your friends, hit pit road, and then come out in good position. With this single file racing, if you were eight, nine, ten back, you nobody was going to drop down to the bottom with you, push you to the front, even if they could push you to the front. You get that far back, you you were out. And Man. so, I mean, I feel like Ford had the strategy of let's pit, let's get the lead, let's stay bunched up, because from fifth back – Nobody's going to catch us. Mm-hmm. Nobody's yeah. going to drop down. Usually you can get four or five cars to pull out and drop down, create a second, third lane, and push up. But they just couldn't do that. Well, I think you, they could have. It just seemed like no one wanted to. It's like they were nervous, too. Well, but I think really that's weird. But I think that's because usually if you get four or five guys and you drop out and you go, you can get that single file and you can gain on the leader faster and he can't drop down to – he's either got to drop to commit to you to stop your run or stay in his. And I think it was just so slow moving on four or five cars that they just – he could drop down, kill their speed, and then still get back up into the second – the high groove and retain the lead, and them guys had to drop back and find a spot mm-hmm. in line. So I don't know that, that Ford is self as a – manufacturer like not all four drivers got better as the race went on they just pitted with a better strategy mm. i don't think that toyota as a man like joe gibbs their cars didn't go away they didn't get worse mm. they just were shuffled in the back you had three guys that were full that had their full they didn't get in a wreck so yeah. they were airily good and then you had truex jr who was after thinking about this, dawned on me when you were talking, Chris. He was probably told, we need you for pit stops. You get out there, and you just log laps. <laughs> you keep in touch with us, and when we pit, boy, you better be there. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sure of that. But I think I don't think, and Chevy didn't get better or worse, but they just, I think it's just Ford had a better strategy for the last green flag stops. Toyota got shuffled, and they couldn't make up the All ground. Right. All right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair assessment, too. Uh, well, can uh, I say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. And and this is an observation I made last year, and it's kind of coming into this year. It seems to me like, for whatever reason, this car that they're currently racing, is, is it just runs on the high end of the track for yeah. some reason. I mean, if you go to the mile and a half, the two miles and that, it just seems to me like the groove has moved up through the past – well, a couple of years, but I was noticing it last year, and then after watching this race last Sunday, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. Aero package, horsepower, tires, whatever, but they just seem like they're running the high groove all I, the time I, I, now. And I agree with you on that, and I think, and I mentioned this a couple times, I thought this during the race, it's the aero. It, to me, it's got to be the package that, because NASCAR changes throughout the year. right. They mix up, depending on the size of the track and mm-hmm. whatever, their aero package. And it seems like you can get to the leader, 
but you can't pass the leader. Yeah. And usually you don't have that problem on the super speedway. Usually you can railroad the leader and there's multiple lead changes. But I think this track was like watching a, a mile and a half. If you had a car that was out front and dominant, you could get to him, but you couldn't pass him. I feel like that was what was happening on Sunday too. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our previews and like our predictions for how the race would play out, it it didn't it didn't come true at all. <laughs> yeah, like we were both we were all like, yeah, we're gonna see a lot of pack racing, we're gonna see a lot of lead changes. And then like very few guys ended up leading the majority of the laps. We hardly saw any big pack racing except well, for in single file. It was a very different Daytona than what we were used to seeing. I think that wreck on lap fourteen kind of screwed up our strategy. I think it changed the whole race. Well, it did, and it was because they realized we can't run side by side multiple laps in this aero package and not wad ourselves up every 15 laps. Yeah. Like, I really don't, I mean, I really honestly don't think Kyle was coming out of that corner thinking, man, I'm going to push Bell, and we're going to, this little push is going to wreck anybody. I think he was like, I'm going to give him a push. He's going to get up there and harass the leader. We're going to maybe be able to to move on and lead a few laps. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. The cars were just so no, unsettled. No. I mean, Ty kept making the comment when you were looking out of the rear camera at Chase Elliott, and it was just shaking so bad you couldn't even see anything. Oh, that was a terrible camera. And and maybe it was a loose camera, right? But, I mean, maybe his car was just that loose, that not into they just couldn't get into the track they just couldn't run side by side well it's it's like chris mentioned he noticed the 23 sliding around the track a lot and he wasn't the only one i mean there was a lot of cars sliding around that track and maybe the the different packages are just kind of messing up the strategy and we'll see different type of racing in the summer when we get back to daytona or uh, i guess it'll be a little later in summer right so well yeah. we'll, we'll see I'm curious to see what happens at Talladega when we go there this spring. Yeah, yeah that'll be interesting. All right, guys, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to recap the last 10 laps or so, uh, give our final thoughts on this race, and then we'll kind of go into our preview for the road course next week and uh, what you guys can expect. Hopefully, we'll try and be uh, – we'll, we'll get to be more accurate this time, and we won't have massive wrecks that screw up how we uh, think the race will play out. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Break. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good to have you guys listening to Electric Sports Talk. All oh, our off-air conversations are always the best. Um, all right, guys. So we're we're coming back to recap the last ten laps of the five hundred. Give our final thoughts on the race. Refresh you on our picks and how they did, uh, and then we'll get into the road course. Uh, and then later on, we have our game. That we will be playing our game that we, which I suck at. You have a chance this year, uh, this week, Amos. So don't worry. Uh, yeah, but we'll be back with the game. It'll be a little different than last week, but it'll be fun. Uh, so let's talk about these last ten laps, guys. Uh, I started keeping track of who was leading the last ten laps because I was like, okay, I think this is when the race is going to start to get a little crazy. Uh, it didn't. Uh, for ten straight laps, Logano just sat out in front. And I was like, okay, is this how we're going to finish the race? Uh, it was strange, man. I mean, we had Logano and Harvick, uh, Keselowski up front. Custer was running really well. McDowell was obviously in that top five. Uh, Elliott had ended up working his way up there along with Hamlin. And a few moves started to be made behind the leader at this point. Dylan was getting in a position 
where I was like, I think he's going to win this race. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really strange that Logano just led these last 10 laps. We did not see a move made until literally the second to last turn on the final lap. Uh, and then everything just went to hell. Guys were wrecking. The race ended in a weird way. There was a strange winner. I mean, it was pure pandemonium and chaos uh, after Pandelarium. coming into turn three. Um, <laughs> so so let's talk about this, guys. Uh, Keselowski, Logano, McDowell. They're all in position here. Uh, Keselowski, in his post-race uh, interview at least, he said he was going for a pass. I don't know if his pass was like, I'm going to wreck Logano and then pass him. <laughs> yeah. But anyways. Pass him as he hits the wall. Um, so McDowell kind of gives, you know, Kislowski a push. Kislowski gets into Logano. And once again, all hell breaks loose. Kyle Busch gets caught up in the wreck. Wallace, Sendrick, Chastain. Uh, big flames coming out of Kislowski's car. His rear tires flying through the air. I mean, Kyle Busch took a huge hit on this wreck. We ended up um, with Keselowski on his hood. Yeah, I mean, there was, <laughs> I mean, it, was it was a pretty violent wreck. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're racing the line, and McDowell, Michael McDowell, gets his first career win. Uh, I mean, what did you guys think at the end of this race? It was, it was not what I expected, and at the same time, it, it was a pretty awesome finish in a lot of ways. Well, I think... I don't know, five laps from the end. I think I texted you and said, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Why do I have the feeling this wreck is going to, or this race is going to end in a fiery, flaming wreck? You and did. it did. <laughs> yep. And it, and it happened. I remember Chris texting me and being like, Told you. <laughs> uh, yep, that, that happened. <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts on the wreck, Chris, uh, specifically? Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, I do have some thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I watched replays, and you guys did too, I think it was real similar to the Kyle Busch Christopher Bell wreck. <laughs> it almost I looked identical. a hundred percent. Like I McDowell mean, was just like, boing, and then, oh, and I got it. was like, ping ball, pinball, ping, ping, <laughs> And I'll say something after this uh, about McDowell. But anyways, yeah, I mean, it was similar. I mean, I looked at that, and I thought, wow, <laughs> deja vu all over again. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was great. You uh, know? And I mean the way the way Kyle Busch talked about it, he he uh, he said he got high up on the track because he thought they were gonna start wrecking each other, and he'd just race on the top line all the way through. And the next thing you know, looking at those replays, Bush just boom, and man, he had nowhere to go. Uh, obviously, everyone walked away pretty fine. Uh, but Amos Kislowski, he was like, he seemed very frustrated. I guess we can say in his post race interview, uh, what did you make of it? So. He's, I've always thought this of Keselowski. He's similar to Earnhardt Sr., where he would wreck Grandma to win the race. And, yes, it is the Daytona 500. He's now 0 for 12. I sh I'm sure that it's one of his last few things he needs to conquer in NASCAR as a Daytona 500 champion. Uh, but I guess what was more strange to me about his frustration is it's like he was upset with another driver. Now, he didn't call out who the other driver right, was, cause whether he it was McDowell he, yeah. or Logano. But he's like, you know, I can't control everybody else on the track. And I was yep. like... I thought that was a weird comment as well. Yeah, I, I don't really know how to take it. And I'm sh I mean, I'm sure in the heat of the moment, things are said. But 
I agreed with Chris. The Shrek, it, it, I mean, Daytona usually ends in a fiery heap anyway. That's just kind of the nature <laughs> yep. of road course racing or of uh, super speedway racing. So I wasn't at all surprised. I guess I was just a little surprised that it took till the final lap because usually they're wadding up with four or five to go and then they do a green white checker and the race ends real boring there just wasn't enough yeah there wasn't enough cars to do it on lap four well though, but you know? i think what happened on lap 15 is is what happened is the same thing that happened on 15 was the same thing that happened at the end of the race and to from a to b it was just all that single file racing because they just there was just no way they and we talked about this stage one stage two and i don't know chris what your thoughts were I kept saying, thinking in stage one, they're going to start making moves six to eight laps. Mm-hmm. Well, eight laps comes nothing. Six, nothing. And then I'm like, they're really just going to race to the end of this stage? And then they jump out in the last lap and do their little dust up, and then it ends. They did the same thing in two. That's not that's not normal speedway racing. Usually they're they're getting their runs. They're jockeying for position four or five laps into it, so... Yeah, what happened on 15 dictated how the end of the race was going to go. So, And you could just, like we've said, whether it was the aero package or whatever, but, man, it was, yeah. And I don't know, I was thinking about this. Do you remember the third guy hitting the middle guy, punting him into the guy ahead of him being that big of issue ever? No. I mean, that second guy, man, he was. No. He must be getting some speed off that bump draft. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, but what was weird, too, sorry, I, I just want to jump no, in real fine. quick. McDowell was more like up at the top, and Logano, or and Kozlowski was kind of in the middle, and Logano was further down. Like they were kind of on a diagonal going down the track. So it seems like it was just a weird chain reaction that they just kind of hit each other more on the sides, not directly mm-hmm. behind. And then just boom, boom, boom. And then everything just ended up wrecking. But I thought it was really strange how it actually happened that Kislavski, once again, I'm going to say this. Kislavski said, I'm going for, I was going for the pass and it didn't happen. And obviously, I all saw what happened. But I don't know where he was going for a pass because it looked like he was riding up on Logano's bumper. Obviously, he might have been alluding to he was going to set up for a pass, you know, like come up on him and then go high and draft off of him or whatever to take the lead. But it was just a weird, like, how the wreck actually ended up happening where all those cars were in positions and stuff. I, I, it was very strange. I don't. And think, then the fact that McDowell actually made it through that to yeah, win the race. Yeah, that was. That's amazing. what I didn't understand. That was I, weird. I don't think. I think Keselowski may have been setting up for a pass on the top side of Logano. I don't think he expected to get punted by McDowell. I think that was what screwed so him weird. up. Was when McDowell popped him in the rear because I think what it was is McDowell saw him setting up to pass Logano on the high side. And so he thought, well, I'll just give him a wowie here to get him on through, and I'll follow him right past Logano. Worst I can do is second, right? Yeah. That didn't so, happen. <laughs> well, well, he, he won I mean, the he race. Won, yeah, so. <laughs> but here's the thing that that occurred to me, and I, I don't – I mean, we encourage people to watch this for their first time race. Uh-huh. And I just thought, boy, I don't know if this was a good experience for a first-time Daytona watcher because – There were there were moments that were really good. Uh, but, yeah, I mean – like we've said many times, and I think we've well established this race was totally different than what we're used to seeing at Daytona. Uh, so we'll encourage you to keep watching NASCAR, because especially Talladega. I mean, sure, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Right. I, I I like what you were saying, Chris. I agree with you. I think I think Kozlowski was gonna fake bottom and go high mm-hmm. on the pass, 
But as we alluded to before, when McDowell hit Kozlowski, for whatever reason, that guy in the middle, that whether he got hit and then sucked up to that other driver, he just must have not been anticipating the speed of which he closed on Logano. Because well, he knew Logano saw, was gonna close, right? Uh-huh. And he just couldn't he just couldn't. On on come the back early up. on the early caution in the race when they took out those sixteen cars, uh they showed uh, Christopher Bell's like his throttle graft, right? He totally jumped out of the throttle, like completely didn't even took his foot like he totally took his foot off the gas right before he hit Amarola. And you could see it because every time Bush was kind of hitting him right before he really gave him the nudge, he just kind of jumped out of it, right? And it's it's such a weird thing I think happened with both situations is the push was so unexpected or too hard that the throttle just totally got put off and then they couldn't they had no control over what was going to happen after that because <laughs> once you lose it like that i mean you're just along for the ride and that's what happened in both cases well what they try to do when they're bump drafting is the front car actually tries to back up in a sense to the car that's bumping you and and i think it just came down to the fact that christopher bell didn't understand how to do that hadn't done it enough to where he could back the car up to Kyle and get a steady push. And it, so it was in and up being, you know, bumps rather than a steady push. Uh-huh. All right, guys. So let's talk about the winner. I think we've talked about a lot of other guys. Uh, lots of people probably don't know Michael McDowell as much as, as some of these other drivers we've talked about. He just kind of stayed in the race. Amos said it a little earlier in the show. He, he pitted really well with the Fords and he was just in the right spot at the right time, essentially. Um, what do you guys take away from the win with Michael McDowell uh, in the front row 34? I think we can finally retire his massive wreck at Texas Motor Speedway as the high point of his career. Oh, okay. For Michael Waltrip. <laughs> because when they, whenever you mention Michael McDowell's name, everybody goes, oh, he's the guy that wrecked at Texas in qualifying, right? Or practice, whatever it was. And I think we can probably put that video to bed now. I was really happy to see Michael McDowell win the race in the sense that, you know, this is front row motorsports. They're not one of the super teams, yep. as I as I called them. And, you know, the winner, I don't know what his percentages are, but the winning amount of money for that race, I mean, that's going to finance that team for a while. I was perfectly all right. And I think it comes back. Now, I think my front row motorsports, I think this is like third time they won the race. Well, at Daytona. Hmm. Either the July race or the February race. I think this is like the third time they've won a race like this. Right, yeah. Amos, any thoughts on McDowell winning this race? I mean, say what you want. He might have caused the wreck at the end that, that led to him winning or, you know, had a hand in it at least. Uh, but nonetheless, very cool. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, he had some – he had a hand in what happened to Kozlowski and Logano. But I think – like we've talked throughout the show, I just feel like the arrow package kind of forced that situation, and I don't think that was his intention. I think I agree with Chris. He was like, you know, I'm going to put – Kozlowski's going to go high. I'm going to push him. We're going to blow it a lot by Logano. I'm going to finish second. You know, this is a good good victory. We'll take it. And then circumstances happen, and he's there he is in victory lane. So um, the only thing that – I could think of when he was announced as the Daytona 500 winner is the previous year when Bubba Wallace carried 
his bumper <laughs> down to McDowell's pit stall and threw it at his crew and had a few nice words to say and kind of was giving him a hard time as a driver. And, and I'm sure McDowell was thinking the same thing, like, baby, I'm a 500 winner. You can, I don't, you can keep that bumper type deal. So, yeah. you know, I mean, he's probably one of them guys in the garage that everybody looks up to and has respect for and yep. was just genuinely I mean, happy that he won. So. Tons of positive comments from pretty much everyone uh, after the race that I saw. I mean, everyone was really happy for the guy. Uh, so, Michael McDowell, uh, congratulations. Uh, but what what's the – now, Amos, I already asked you this question, I think, a couple, uh, two, uh, yesterday, but uh, I'll ask you again. Uh, what is the chances that McDowell wins another race this season? I mean, we got three more super speedway races, but I I guess if he if we have the manufacturer pitting like we did in Sunday's race, I mean anything's possible. But outside <laughs> of super speedways, I don't know that there's a huge. I, I'm not going to throw down money. I'm not going to say over fifty percent. Anything's possible, but I think he better savor this race because it might be. All right. It might be the only one. All right, guys. Uh, Chris, who is your biggest winner from this race? Uh, now, it doesn't have to be McDowell. It can be any driver, team, uh, manufacturer. I mean, who who's your biggest winner coming out of the Daytona 500 and well, the first race of the year? This is probably going to shock you guys a lot, but I think the biggest – well, okay, not winner, but the, the, the guy that benefited the most from this race I think was Bubba Wallace, believe it or not, because he was able to finish well – he kept the car clean all race, raced as a teammate, which I didn't expect that to happen. I figured he'd be out there for Bubba. And and I think all in all, I think Bubba Wallace really came out of this quite well. And I, you know, I'm not his biggest fan by any means. Yeah. But I was just pretty impressed by the way this whole race played out and the way he was able to end up finishing in the race. Yeah, I mean, I think that his car is stronger than it was last year as far as the 23 and the 43 and, you know, all things considered. Uh, and I don't know, my expectations haven't changed a bunch for him, but he's a good super speedway driver. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair shout. And, and you've kind of been critical of this new 23XI, so that's nice words from you, Chris. Good. I like it. Okay, Amos, uh, who's your biggest winner from the Daytona 500? Uh, I mean, if you want some time to think about it, I can go for it. I'm going to say just NASCAR in general. I feel oh, like okay. they put they put out a pretty – I mean, let's be honest. It was a, it was a pretty rough – the five-hour rain delay is going to kill a lot of people. I mean, they what started the race, restarted on lap 15. It was 9 o'clock in the east. So they were, everybody's cold, wet, tired. I mean, I know it's the great American race. NASCAR very well could have just run the race on Monday. So, I mean, I feel like they persevered. They put on a pretty decent race at the end. So the fans that were there in attendance and everybody that stuck through, you know, was the end of the race was a typical Daytona race. So I feel like that's, that was a win for them. Mm -hmm. So, and I was kind of critical of NASCAR to start out with because, I mean, they have this 
<laughs> two hour long celebration or presentation or <laughs> pre race and it's sunny skies and everybody's sweating to death and then fifteen laps in we're red flag. I'm like, if you know it's gonna rain, why are we doing all this hoopla? Let's move the race up and well, get started, you and know. And the thing of it is at Daytona, it you know, if you spent any time in Florida, you know it's gonna it's rain gonna that rain. it's gonna rain in yeah. the afternoon, yeah. you know? Almost so, every time. There's a lot of people that have said, let's move the start of the race up to noon again, like yeah. it used to be, and let's get this show on the road because, it, like Amos said, I mean, invariably, we're fighting these rain delays and we're finishing at 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, NASCAR still good, did a good job, though, so yeah, I, I, agree. I can, I can I agree mean, with I, you there. You know, as a, as a diehard, I guess I won't say diehard, but as someone who follows NASCAR pretty extensively, it was a race that you really have to understand to appreciate, in my opinion. If you're a first-time watcher, you're like, man, this, these guys on this podcast are idiots. This is the most boring race <laughs> I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Like, Denny right, Hamlin yeah. led 90 laps. I mean, single-file race, and this is stupid. But if you understand it, I feel like you appreciated the pit strategy. You, I mean, looking back at it, we appreciate the pit strategy because at the time we're like, why are they all pitting together? But... I mean, overall, I feel like NASCAR presented their weekend well. I feel like the way they they shortened speed weeks, it was speed four days instead of speed weeks, yeah. basically. <laughs> so I feel like that kind of, you know, let's not drag this out. Let's do everything in one week. You know, I feel like NASCAR had the foresight to be like, hey, we need to condense this. Let's keep our momentum going from last year. And, you know, kudos to them. I hope that it works out for NASCAR moving forward through the recovery of the pandemic and, and everything else. I have, I have one more thing I want to say. Sure, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't see any post-accident interviews with Ryan Newman, but I'll bet that guy was just wiping his forehead thinking, man, I am glad I wasn't – I mean, he was in the big wreck, but he wasn't – the wiped wreck. out in well, the, uh, he wasn't the wreck yeah in the big wreck yeah no that's true um okay so my winner from the race is gonna have to be kevin harvick guys i mean he is not known for doing well on these types of tracks and he was in a position to win that race all night like not just at the end he was consistently in the front and racing really well and i'm very fearful that this year's just gonna be a runaway for kevin harvick in the standings uh so that's my winner yeah that's a good point i mean Seems like, well, and you, we could say, you know, Kevin Harvick picked up where he left off, Denny Hamlin. Um, if we look at it, the last two races of last year and the race, first race of this year, Chase Elliott's first, first, second. I mean, you know, that NASCAR's top drivers are just kind of picking up where they left yeah. off. So I well, don't think that should deter anybody because it's still going to be great racing, but I agree with you, Ty. Man. He looked great. Happy Harvick. He's got, he's out. Well, out for blood the this other year. thing I took Should away be. from it is, too, is that Stuart Haas cars were strong. I mean, Even Cole whole, Custer was oh, really yeah. strong. Yeah. And, I and felt Briscoe, bad. Briscoe was in an accident early, so I don't think he got to show no. that he had a good car. But, yeah, yeah I mean, well, and they he, were good cars. He just fought that car the entire the, the entire rest of the race. I mean, it was like he was going to become a permanent resident on pit road there. Uh, I feel like the strongest car of the race was taken out on lap 15 in Eric Amarola. Yeah, I mean, I, I know he was that. my pick to win the race, but he had a strong car. Well, and the thing and is... just unfortunate circumstances. After the duel, I was thinking, oh, crap, I'm in a lot of trouble here because you had picked Amarola, and he <laughs> dominated that duel. I mean, yeah. he just flat ran away from him in that duel. 
So, yes, I agree with you. I think the strongest car in that whole field got took out in that accident. All right, Chris. <clears throat> I want your biggest loser from the 500. Biggest loser? Driver, from... manufacturer, whatever. Team, I don't care. <clears throat> biggest loser from the 500, huh? Hmm. There were so many guys that could have done that whole race a lot differently. Mm -hmm. I, I, so from the whole 500 experience, I got to say, and he wasn't even in the race, was Ty Dillon. Because he had a good uh, bush clash. He had a surprisingly really strong car. He qualified well. He raced well in the, in the duels. And he got eliminated. And so if you take the entire 500 experience, yeah. I would say that Ty Dillon was the biggest loser. And Gaunt Brothers Racing, would you also yeah. say that? Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a pretty fair assessment, actually. That, that's not necessarily the 500 itself, but I like where you're at there. Uh, Amos, do you have a biggest loser for the 500? Well, I'm going to go with a couple. I mean, obviously, Keselowski, 0-12, Getting wadded up at the end, you could just see his frustration. You know, you, I don't. I'm not going to say you got to feel bad for the guy because I don't care if he wins a 500 or not. But <laughs> you know, he was there trying, and <laughs> oh you could God. just see it on his face at the end. It was, it was all he could do to just not start freaking out at the end. And then, I mean, you got to feel, and I by no means care for this driver, but you got to feel for Denny Hamlin. I mean, the guy, you know. Through the mid part of stage two, he's just like, yeah, he's already figuring out how he's spending his winnings from his third in a row, Daytona 500, and how the week's going to go and all the TV stops he's going to make and what kind of car he's going to be racing at the next Speedway because this one's going to be in the Daytona Museum. So, I well, mean, it's got to be was... deflating to have that strong a car yeah. and oh. not make it. And then, I mean, obviously, Eric Amarola is just like – you know, what have I got to do to there finish so a race? There was so much pressure on Hamlin's shoulders, I felt like, going to that race, too, because tons of tension on him. I mean, constantly, constantly just interviewed and talked about his, his racing team, his chances at a third Daytona. He's won three already, uh, like three in a row is what I meant earlier. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there was so much expectation on him, and us sitting at this table, we all put a lot of expectations on him negatively, saying – He's not going to have a good season. So I felt like he's kind of been feeling that from a lot of people. And, you know, he raced a lot better than I thought he would. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Denny Hamlin, unfortunately, caught up in that accident. Uh, no, no, he wasn't caught up in the accident. He got through. He finished, like, fourth still, though. So, right. yeah, I, okay, my biggest loser's got to be Ryan Blaney, man. I mean, oh. what can this guy <laughs> – where can he catch a break? He can't. Did you see? Okay, that big wreck's happening, right? And he picks up minor damage, and he's getting through there. And I'm like, oh, he's through. Okay, this will be fine. All of a sudden, I think it might have been uh, Kurt Busch just comes out of nowhere and smacks him. And I'm like, <sighs> and he was okay, oh, right? Gosh. Even that running him down the track a little bit, he was fine. But man, as soon as he hit that wet grass <laughs> in the infield, his splitter in the front. Went to the spoiler in the rear, man. Yep. Yeah, Just it was like more like that. a plow. Yeah, dude. He was oh, man. He was digging ditches. Yep. All yeah. right. Yeah, All right, that was a good shout-out, Ty. I hadn't even thought about Ryan yeah. Blaney and the way he got messed up in that deal. Yeah, well. yeah I'll bet you he's just like... I don't care if I see Daytona ever again. He's like, we got to spend another week here on a road course. And he probably's not any happier about the road course because Chase Elliott punted him into the wall on the Bush Clash. So, you know. Ah, good point, he's, yeah. He's probably just like, I'm done with this place. Can we go home? All right, guys. So to recap our projected winners here, Chris, you had Kyle Larson, 
Uh, out of everyone, you probably did the best with your pick, so decent, but no points for you, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. Amos, you had Eric. I'll be here next week. <laughs> you had Eric Amarola, Amos, uh, well-documented. We know that he went out early, and I had Truex, and he was in the race, but not really, so you know, I, I feel okay about my pick, but yeah, I mean, two of our guys got taken out early, and... Uh, no points for us, but Chris, you get the one point for picking the correct pole sitter. So, congratulations. So, yes, thank you for that. Should we go through the top ten standings right now? Because there's some surprises in here. Like uh, the point standings? Yes. Go ahead. Give it to us. Okay, so in number one position, well, okay, let's start at ten. So, Christopher Bell is actually in tenth place in the overall standing. Well, he raced really. He raced in the front a lot, so yes. it makes sense. Followed by Joey Logano. Daryl Wallace Jr. in eighth. Uh, Kyle Larson, Ryan Priest, uh, Michael McDowell, Chase Elliott is in fourth. Kevin Harvick third. Danny Hamlin second. And who would be your number one guy? Would you think? Any guesses? Well, I know who it is already. Oh, okay. Austin Dillon. Yeah, well, but he got some points for winning that duel, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that contributes a lot. And he finished third. And he led some laps. He raced really well. All right, yeah. cool. So, yeah. Well, it's it's very early, guys. So, <laughs> we'll have to see how that goes. Yep. All right. Uh, anything else? One to race s- in. Yeah. Well, that's not a big sample size, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Uh, all right. Should we get into this road course, guys? Uh, our next race of the year. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, second race of the season is going to be the Daytona Road Course. We're not leaving Daytona. We're there for another week. I hope you guys enjoyed it, but we're moving on to the infield road course. Uh, This is going to be an interesting track. I don't think we've raced here hardly at all. Uh, So let's start with you, Chris. Uh, Give us some background context of the road course. What's NASCAR's history with this Daytona road course? Or uh, just in general, anything you guys want to tell our viewers? Well, so the course was actually built in 1959, and they were running sports car races, which back in the day... Uh, NASCAR did have its fingers in in sports cars. They actually raced Jaguars and Corvettes and that sort of thing. Ooh, I, fancy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They didn't really uh, start the 24-hour race. Uh, 1966, I think it was, when they went to the uh, 24-hour race, and then they shortened it in 72 through 74, but it was canceled entirely in those years too. So, I mean, NASCAR's had... They haven't had direct involvement, but they've always had their fingers in the in the Daytona or in the twenty four hours of Daytona. So NASCAR's been in and out of it, and drivers have always crossed over. I mean that's that's just been a given. So for years and years and years, I don't have much else. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of history associated with this track and NASCAR so far, is there? No, not. I mean, no, not extensively. No. No, not like we'll see on some other ones, right? We're going to see more road courses this year than than I can ever recall there being mm, in NASCAR, and I've been watching it for quite a while. All right. Well, thank you for the history. We'll continue to come back to you because you go back a long time, as as we've said many times on the show. Uh, <laughs> all right, Amos, we're to you. I wasn't you... there to start, but it wasn't too far beyond the start. No, that's, that's probably <laughs> true. All right, Amos, we're over to you. Uh, give us the layout of the road course. I mean, oh, all right, we got t- many turns. We got lots of uh, track to cover. I mean, what what are we looking at here? Okay, so it's a three and a half mile length. It's got twelve uh, turns. They incorporate a probably well a 
three quarters of the oval itself in the road course. Um, they use the tri oval. They'll come out. They'll they use the back stretch. They've got what they call the bus stop in the back stretch, which kind of breaks up the drag down the back stretch. Um, so it's kind of a not necessarily uh, a, lots of turns as you would see in most road courses, but the length is kind of what gets your strategy set up for this race. And uh, it's kind of cool how they incorporate a lot of the oval into the racetrack. So, yeah, it should be – I don't know that it will necessarily be my favorite road course to watch this year, but it should still be it, – it'll still be good racing. How many laps are we looking at in this race in total? I mean – I think they said it was 253, so – all right, so we're looking at 235 miles, uh, three and a It's going to be about 72 laps. Yeah. 72 laps. All right, so, so that's pretty it's pretty good, right? I mean, well, for, for road, road course, course yeah. it's about all you can stand, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But here's something that I don't think you mentioned this, but in the NASCAR road course, it varies a little bit from the sports car road course that they race the 24 hours on. Right. In that apparently when they started testing to run – the road course with NASCAR stock cars, they were coming around that trioval area, start finish line, and they were going so fast by the time they got down to turn one, they actually put a NASCAR chicane in coming out of four and before the trial. Right. And we've seen the excitement that that's caused oh, uh, yeah. in the clash, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so. interesting. Uh, what, what type of racing are we going to see at a track like this though, Chris? I mean, obviously we'll distance out. We'll see some spacing between the cars. I don't think you're going to see them stretch out like they did on the, uh, no, oh, okay. no, I think there's going to be much closer racing. Okay. And, why and, is that? Well, you just can't, you can't, unless you got just a supercar, you're not going to build the gap mm, okay. in a road course that you do on an oval. Even if we go long green flag runs? Yeah. Okay. I, I just don't see it. Interesting. Um, uh, once again, I will say that turn one at the start is going to be, be the turn to watch. It's the most exciting part, man. I mean, they lock up those brakes. <laughs> the and leader slide for eternity. I think the leader locked up his brakes every time in that clash. Every time. Yeah. Went, yeah. O- went off onto the right, so yeah. that's yeah. nice. Yeah, um, coming out of the restart, that <laughs> yeah. was great. So, Chris, uh, what kind of wear and tear is this this type of a track put on NASCARs? I mean, because we know this is not what they're designed for, right? Like, they're designed to go on the ovals, to hit high speeds. What's going to be the biggest, well, like, wear and tear on these cars? It breaks. Far and away breaks. Breaks, yeah. Because, and, and this comes back to what we talked about in one of our earlier episodes, They're going to the bigger wheel-tire combination, i.e. 18-inch wheels, Uh because they're going to be racing more road courses, so they need to put bigger brakes on the cars so they've got a little bit better capability. But I think the big thing to watch, again, in the the, uh, race, because this race is going to be just about twice as long, I think, as um, essentially the Mm -hmm. Bush Clash was. Might even be longer than that, actually. But it... But anyway, very very close. Yeah, um, you're going to see brakes are going to be the huge issue, and unlike the 24 hours of Daytona, I mean they can literally do a brake complete brake change in a normal pit stop because of the way those cars are set up, and NASCAR just doesn't have that capability. So my guess is, is towards the end of this race, you're going to see a lot of guys that are basically 
you know, the way they're going to woe up going into turns is to hit the guy in front of them. Hey, we saw that in the clash, man. Yeah. It's going to happen. All right. Um, is there any different type of wear on the tires? I mean, are we going to see less wear? Will we see more pit stops with just gas? Like, how is the pit strategy, I guess is what I'm trying to get at, going to play into this race, if at all? I don't see anybody really particularly towards the end of the race doing just gas-only stops. Mm. And, you know, I've said it in earlier episodes, and I'll, I will say it again. When they race on road courses, they race from the back. From They race them backwards. In other words... They try to time their last fuel stop at an interval so that they've got enough fuel so they're basically on an empty load in the last laps of the road race. Yeah. So what they do is they try to get a read on their fuel mileage early on in the race, and then they set their pit strategy up based on, okay, how many laps am I getting on a tank of fuel? When will I run out? And, and the ideal situation is, is they do their last pit stop 20 laps from the end, let's say, mm -hmm. 30 laps, whatever it may be, so that they're running literally almost on an empty tank, uh, you know, on the final laps of the road course races. Now, the exception to that may be this race because they're still going to be running on the high banking, so they got to have enough fuel in those cars that they can still pick up fuel to get around the turns and that sort of thing so they're not running out of fuel. But I, I suspect that you're going to see kind of a different pit strategy. How many cautions are we looking at in this race, would you say? Very many, very few. I mean, uh, I'm going to turn that one over to Amos and then I'll, I'll make my comment. All right. So, one thing that helps with cautions on a road course is you can have a local caution and then you can have a full track caution. So, I think your local cautions, which they probably won't get a lot of attention on TV, I, I think that number is going to be high. As long as, you know, I mean, if their leaders are coming down into turn one and somebody wrecks, on the back stretch in the chicane or gets off track, they're not going to bring out a full course caution. Um, so I'm going to, I think they'll probably be low. I'm going to say, I mean, I don't know what is super high, but I'm going to say there's probably going to be three full course cautions. Um, they'll probably, and that includes if they have a mandatory NASCAR caution, uh, right. competition caution. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm going to go with three, but I think your, your local, Local cautions, there's going to be a lot. Like guys sliding off the track yeah, in random spots off, yeah. and stuff like that. Turning right. in the corners. You know, I'm going to go with seven. Runway. You're going to go with seven. Wow. So you're going to pretty much double his number. Seven full course cautions. All right, interesting. Chris is going for the wreck fest. Yeah, nice. Okay. Uh, Amos, how big of an advantage are those Clash guys that participated in the Clash, raced in the Clash, they have a feel for the this road course. How big of an advantage will they have in this race, if any? I think they're going to have a... a enormous advantage because from what i can see of the schedule there's no practice and i'm not sure how i assume they're setting qualifying up based on finishing order from the 500 so if you were able to finish well on the 500 you're going to start up front which always helps at any track but is a very big benefit at a road course so yeah i think it's going to be a big deal you're going to have an, a layout and uh, yeah they've run at this course in the past but you still want practice regardless of where you're at. So mm -hmm. I think it'll benefit them a lot. All right, cool. Uh, any final thoughts on this road course before we get into our picks? I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting, I think. Yeah. I mean, Yeah, it's going to be a... 
we'll kind of get maybe a little bit of a preview for how some of these road courses are going to play out this year with having so many on the on the schedule. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I think it's good for the drivers. I mean, they they're going to be able what they've been in Daytona already for two weeks now, so they're going to get another week. I think that kind of helps with getting started in the season, getting through the pressure of the 500. And so if you can, if you're not trucking out to the West coast right after the 500 and you're staying semi close to home, I think you're probably, I think that's good for them. It's good for the teams, the families of the drivers. So, and I think it's uh, a kind of a, highlights NASCAR's ability to be able to kind of change on the fly because mm. technically this race or maybe even the next race was supposed to be a West Coast swing in California. So they were able to kind of throw this one together on the fly and make adjustments to the schedule. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I don't know that it's going to be like an overly thrilling race as much as say the 500 was, but every race is important. You want to get that win early. So you got your spot secured in the chase. And then you can, you know, then you have the ability at the future road courses to try some different things. And, and even at tracks that you run well at, you can, you can experiment a little bit and get ready for the chase. So all right, cool. it's going to be a good race. Well, and then the race after this one is down at Miami Homestead. So, you know, they're just going a little farther yeah. south in Florida. Yeah. It'll be nice. They won't have to travel a ton. It'll be yeah. good. Um, all right. Here's our favorite part, guys, and we also kind of started off on a pretty slow note uh, from the first one. Pretty much all of our guys, in a lot of ways, wrecked out of, of uh, our picks, wrecked out of the last race. So, hopefully, here's to crossing our fingers and hoping we get better picks. Uh, Chris, we're going to start with you. Your pick to win the Daytona Road Course race. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. Okay, any reason why? He won the uh, Bush Clash. Well, I don't know if he won the Bush Clash. Let's say he survived to win the Bush Clash. He got given the Bush Clash. <laughs> Whatever. All right, so you're going with Kyle Bush. Not a bad pick, actually. actually uh, yeah. Can I rethink that? I hope you do. Okay, fine. We'll let it. I'm going to pick Ryan Blaney to win it. Okay, Ryan Blaney. You just stole Ty's pick. Did, I, right, pick, did so, I steal your pick? Yeah, you definitely stole my pick. <clears throat> no, no, uh, no, none of the same picks, so... I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, Amos, who you picking for the road course win? I mean, it's another one of those races where it can kind of be anyone, but you do have your favorites. Wait, uh, so wait, where are you going? Wait. Chase Elliott, duh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I mean. I was like, what? What? Okay. <laughs> number one, he's my favorite driver. Number two, he's like what won the last, not counting the Bush Clat. She's won the last four, three or four road course races. Yeah. Finished second, even though he wrecked Blaney in the process. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, and plus he's my favorite driver, so why not? Let's All right. go chase. All right, so you got Blaney, you got Elliot. Okay. Uh, well, my top two picks are off the board, um, so I'm going to have to go with Kevin Harvick, I guess. I mean, I... Uh, I'll let you have Blaney, and I'll go back with Kyle Busch. Nope. <laughs> Your pick is final. You can't switch it that many times. Well, here's the thing. I Harvick's a good dra- driver and everything, but he's not He's not a road course driver. My options are limited right now. So okay, so you can I'm have I'm just going to go with the guy here. You can have Blaney, and I'll take Kyle Busch. <laughs> Our picks are final now. All right. 
Are you afraid <laughs> that Harvick's going to actually win? No. 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 I think he's a little, I I, he's I just, a little nervous. No, I'm not. I, I watched. Look, I if watched, there's anything I've learned in all of my years with Ty, don't feel pity for the kid. Because well, he true. may just very well come out and win this thing, and then you're going to be like, huh? How did that happen? So. <laughs> All right, guys, just a reminder, Chris is up one to nothing to nothing in the Thank standings. You. Thank you. So you got a slight lead. Hopefully we can turn around this week. Okay, guys, uh, computer's down, tablet closed, phone's huh. away, all that. Wait a minute. It's time for the game. The worst game of my life. All right. <laughs> so this game is going to be different from last week's game. Last week's game, we gave you a driver that won in a, in a year, and then you had to give me the, the name of the driver from that year that was the race winner uh, with some clues. Obviously, we don't have hardly anything to go off of for this road course. Oh, this is the one that I, I won because you gave me the driver. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so Chris is up 4-1 to one in the season standings, uh, and you are obviously our, our reigning champion. So the challenger will go first. Um, so what we've decided, what I've decided, I guess, is <laughs> we're going to have trivia questions today. Ooh. So we have seven trivia questions for you guys. Some of them multiple choice, some of them not multiple choice. Hopefully mine are multiple choice. <laughs> so how this is going to work is we'll just go back and forth until someone gets an answer. Um, if not, well, then I guess we'll figure that out. Anyways, first of four wins the game. Make sense? Let's do it. All right, I'm Amos. ready for some redemption. Okay, Amos, you are the challenger. You go first. Okay, first question. What year was NASCAR founded? Hold on, I got to do some quick math here. Okay, he's doing math in his head. Feel free to play along at home, guys. Uh, no, send can us I, in. Can some I just things. use my calculator? No, no, no. Using your phone. No, my you can't. Hey, no, wait a minute. Stop. It's my calculator. Okay, okay. He's, you he's want me using to try the calculator. and figure out? Hold on, I can okay. see it. Um, is it 1958? 1958 is very close. You're missing. You're very close. Well, don't give Chris the answer. No, I, okay. I, about I know did. what the answer about is. It. Well, at least I think I Okay, did. Chris thinks he knows the answer. Chris, what year was NASCAR founded? 1948. 1948 is the correct answer. The National Association for Stock Car and Auto Racing was founded in 1948 by Ed Otten and William France Sr. for the purpose of promoting sports car racing. It is the largest sanctioning body of motorsports racing in the United States. All right, so we are one to nothing. Chris, you have the early lead. Amos, you got to come back here, man. How All come right. your paper has the answers and you didn't give that one to me? <laughs> because <laughs> I need to have the answers. <laughs> All right, Chris, uh, this is our next question. What color of stripe across a race car signifies a rookie driver? Yellow. Yellow is the correct answer. Man, you you didn't get a good draw on this one, Amos. I knew that one. <laughs> I think this game's rigged, stacked against me. <laughs> All right, Chris, you're up 2-0. The answer was yellow. A yellow stripe uh, stripe across the rear of a NASCAR uh, signifies a rookie driver. Now, you guys have mentioned many times, get out of the way of that yellow stripe, right? Yeah, and don't bump draft him <laughs> on a super <laughs> speedway. <laughs> Actually, he's not a rookie driver, though, is he? This is his second year. Bell? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Well. All right, uh, Amos, we're back to you on this one. Which driver has the nick has many nicknames, including the man in black, the man in black, the intimidator, and the Count of Monte Carlo? I haven't heard the Count of Monte Carlo. 
Anyway, it's Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt is the right answer. Dale Earnhardt earned his nickname uh, racing his black Goodrich Lively, uh, his number three Chevy Monte Carlo, and his aggressing, uh, his aggressive racing style earned him the nickname the Intimidator. Nice. All right, so we are two one. Amos, you are on the comeback here. Uh, the questions are going to get a little harder here. So, okay, here we go. Number four. What was the first NASCAR race to be nationally televised from start to finish? And if you can tell me the year, I'll give you a bonus point. The Daytona 500. The Daytona 500, yes. 1972. Oh, you were close on the year, Chris, but you do get a point. All right, so we're at three to one on the points. Uh, Amos, can you tell me what year it was, though, that this first Daytona 500 was televised from start to finish? It was in the 70s. Chris, you were really close. Uh, 73? 73. Okay, no, I mean, I guess, no. He wasn't like that close. Uh, it was in the 70s. 1979 is the answer. In 1979, the Daytona 500. Man, I mean, you didn't give me another close. guess. Oh, His well. close is like not even it. Oh, Sorry. You were close. He was in the same decade, I guess. <laughs> I, had, I had another guess. It well, wasn't going to be 79. It was, just a, it was just a bonus point, though. So, uh, okay. sorry. Uh, right. In 1979, the Daytona 500 became the first NASCAR race to be nationally televised from start to finish. Richard Petty took first place, uh, leading the last two laps. Cale Yarbrough and Donnie Allison crashed right at the end, or close to the end, giving Richard Petty the win. There you go. There you go. And Richard Petty had a terrible car in that race and was never running much better than fifth or sixth the whole race and ended up winning it kind of like kyle bush <laughs> all right so we're at three to one <laughs> y'all missed out on the bonus point darn it okay chris how many attempts did it take daryl waltrip to win his first daytona 500 now this one can be multiple choice but if you think you know the answer i'd love to hear it i'm gonna go with 21 Okay, you should have went with multiple choice. No. <laughs> do you want multiple choice, yes, or do you think you know? Like, nope, I would like. All right, how many times? How many attempts did it take Daryl Waltrip to win his first Daytona 500? Eight, seventeen, twenty-three, or eleven? Eight. That's wrong. Oof. All right, I don't know who, where to go on this one. Well, give me my give me my chance again. God, we're you said we were going to answer till we were done. We're running out of numbers that you can pick, though. Okay, twenty three. Eight was there, <laughs> wrong. Seven, what? seventeen, or eleven? Famous. <laughs> this, how does this work? He's going to get. You better go with the right one. You got a fifty percent shot. If you get the wrong one, eleven. You should have went with seventeen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't think any of you should get the point on this one. Holy okay, crap. I agree. I agree with that one. I, right. I thought he no had points. raced a no lot points. longer than that before he finally got his one and only Daytona 500 win. Yep. If nope. without multiple choice, I would have said he didn't win Daytona No, at he all. won driving for Dylan Earnhardt. We're going to have to cut this one up. All right, anyways, it was 17 tries for Darrell Waltrip. None of you get points on that one because... Chris, you just got everything wrong about that one, I pretty did. much. I mean, I screwed I should, that one up. All I should the way take around. a point away from you for yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm for that. All right, it is still three to one. Uh, Chris, you have the lead, but Amos, you can be on the comeback here. You go first. What year? Hey, did... he's got his computer open. Oh crap! Close your computer. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't notice. Okay, what year did Jeff Gordon not win the Daytona 500? Now, if you think you know, you can tell me. If you want a multiple choice. Multiple choice. Okay, multiple choice. Was the answer 1997, 1998, 
2005 or 1999. Wait a minute. What were the first two? 97, 98, 99, or 05? Nope. Yeah, 98. All right, 98 is the right answer. In 98, Dale Earnhardt won his only Great American Race after his Woo! after 19 attempts. Okay, we're at three to two. Amos has is on the comeback. If we have a tie here, I don't I don't know. We're just gonna maybe we're gonna well, have to end in a tie. Over, right? Yeah, we're gonna have to just end in a tie, and and the points will count for There's later. Got to be a tiebreaker question. I don't have a tiebreaker question, what? so sorry. It ends, it ends in a tie. <laughs> we're like going soccer. soccer rules, okay? All okay. right, Chris. For the outright win, how many convertibles have raced in the? Uh, how many convertibles raced in the first ever Daytona 500? Multiple choice, or do yes, you know the multiple answer? Multiple choice. Okay, zero, two, ten, or twenty. Ten. Wrong. First ever Daytona. 500, how many convertibles were in the race, Amos? Well, I am, I'm going to say zero. Zero is wrong. All right, none of you are getting points on this one either. 20 of the 59 cars in the first really? ever Daytona 500 in 1959 were indeed convertibles. Yep. All right, so our final score is going to be? Three. To two. <laughs> Three to two. All right. Wait, uh, if you don't remember, I had four. No, no, I, I don't think Okay, that. so... For bonus points, and I won't take any on this one. What brand of cars were the convertibles racing in that race? Pontiac. That was one of them. Oh, yeah. I get points as the host. Postmobile? <laughs> yep. Can we say all of them? Because we might get them. Ford. <laughs> no. Dang. What's What's the other one? Think about Think about that 1959 race at the finish. Yeah, I was in the twinkle in Daddy's eye in 1959. Oh, well, okay. So. Well, the Osmobiles were up there because right. one of the Petty Boys was in that. Lee Petty. I don't remember. Four Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. I said Fords. Oh, you did? This is crap. I'm being robbed of points on the show. I'm hey, the host. Don't be hitting the table. I am the host. I demand that I get my points. All right, so I got all of those. All right. <laughs> okay, guys. So, uh, Chris, you do win once again, three to two. Sorry, Amos. You just couldn't come back from it. Yeah, that whatever. Well, my NASCAR history things. I gonna have to study up if we're gonna do these at the end every year. Every yeah. Year. Well, episode. at least there won't be trivia questions for a while, so that's good. Okay, I had the starting time of the race. You had it, but then I made no, you no, close no. your. No, no, no. Then I made you close your. No, I can get it. <laughs> tablet. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yep, Sunday. At three p.m. Eastern time. It's on Fox. All right, cool. It's on Fox. MRN is the radio broadcast. The O'Reilly Auto Parts 253 at Daytona. Can't wait. It's going to be good. All right, once again, guys, we got Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and Kevin Harvick as our potential winners. Um, Two good picks, one pretty poor pick. But, you know, uh, that's how it's going to play it out. Who got Uh, the poor pick? uh, Yeah, I got the poor pick. Um, Any closing comments from either of you guys? Well, if, if... I don't think the road course will be anything like Daytona, but, I mean, there is a possibility. I picked three cautions, so I hope it's not a wreck fest, but it very well could be. Cool. <laughs> okay. Chris, anything from you? Well, I picked seven cautions, I think. It's going to be somewhere between three and seven. Man, you got a, you got a broad range there. Well, you know. <laughs> you all know. right, guys, uh, that's all we got for today. We'll be back with the normal game next week because we're going to Homestead. So be thinking, guys. Be thinking about this. Okay. Uh, we're going to have be random years what? about past winners at Homestead. So 
Study up. Do some homework. Uh, I can do that. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, that's all we got. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to get involved, go ahead and email us at electricsportstalk at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Also, find us on Instagram and Twitter. And give us a follow and like. And, uh, yeah, that's all. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Peace out. Man, I suck at trivia. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Electric Sports Talk. Join us in future episodes as we discuss all things U.S. soccer, collegiate sports, mixed martial arts, motorsports, the NFL, MLB, and the Olympics. If you enjoy our content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter or shoot us an email to electricsportstalk at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening.